cultural moment. We didn't catch it in real time. But anybody else ever experienced something like that? I mean, it's just terrifying, right? And so we are the third raft in the caravan. We're at the very top of the chute. And before we could even say man overboard, our guide yells, paddle or die. (laughs) And then he adds this little thing, and grab somebody out of the water or they will die. Okay. So we start going down. And we're going down the same area that just flipped this raft. And we have to pull people up out of the water as we go past them. And I remember the look on this one man's face. He was probably upper 50s, and my dad and I pulled him out. It was mostly me, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, pulled him up out of the water, and he had a look of terror I had never seen before. I mean, the water, A, is cold, right? But there's just the thought of, this could be it. I could drown in this water. And so we rescued him in that moment. It was, it was fascinating. Now, I bring all of this up because I need you to know it's only a matter of time before some movie producer buys the rights to this story. Only a matter of time before this goes big, right? Netflix original, I'm seeing it. So, forewarning, it's only a matter of time before I probably have to quit the church and move to L.A., all right? Like, it's just raging rapids. Like me there, like me here, like me struggling. I don't know what pose yet I'm going to have for the cover, but. All right, here's the thing. The disciples would probably, like you all, laugh at my Little River story because that's nothing compared to what they experienced one day out in the Sea of Galilee. This story is told for us in Mark chapter 4. And in this chapter, we read about something truly remarkable. Jesus doesn't take anyone out of a stormy sea. He literally takes the stormy sea out. Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also a bunch of other boats with them. All right, so at this point in the book of Mark, the disciples have probably been officially following Jesus and kind of working alongside of him for several weeks, if not several months. And you can imagine that every day with Jesus would have been pretty exciting, to say the least. We talked about this last week. There was healings. There was exorcisms. There was miracle after miracle after miracle. But in addition to being incredibly exciting, I think each day would have been pretty exhausting. Don't you think? Long hours, lots of walking, emotionally taxing work, and very little rest for the weary. So the request here in Mark chapter 4, it sounds pretty innocent, but it's anything but This request to go across the sea, it seems like it would have been, uh, you know, readily received or easily received by the disciples. Actually, I bet you they fought this request. It had been an incredibly long, hard day, a tiring day. The text kind of hints at that. The crowd, they've been teaching them all day long. They've been attending to their needs all day long. And it says they took Jesus as he was, meaning he was probably spent, as were all the other disciples. And at the end of this day, as you're ready to clock out, as you're ready to go home, as you're ready to get something to eat, put your feet up, Netflix and chill, like whatever you do, as soon as you're ready to leave work, what happens? Jesus calls you back to work. He says, I want to go across the sea. Let's go to the other side of the sea. Here's a pic of the Sea of Galilee. That's actually the the lake itself right there. It's a pretty massive body of water, as you can tell. And although the sun was probably setting off in the distance like this picture shows, this is no romantic cruise put on by Christ. This would have been a chore 
to go from this side to the other side late in the evening after you're already exhausted. This is the last thing you want to do. And here Christ is asking you to go across the sea. The boat that Jesus and his disciples were in that day was most likely a 17-foot fishing boat. So I have a couple of pictures up here. The boat is on the right side, and then I have a 17-foot Cadillac on the left, just to give you a little context. But imagine 15 grown men all sitting in one of these two vessels. Imagine going across the sea. Imagine being exhausted. Imagine being asked to do something you don't want to do. This is a huge ask. This would have required the disciples to struggle for hours and hours and hours against the wind and the waves. I imagine Matthew's knees would have been stuck in Andrew's back. I imagine that James and John would have been arguing over the best course of action. Thomas would have been doubting if they'd even make it to the other side. And Judas would have been doing something sketchy, because that's just kind of what Judas does, right? I want you to understand what this ask is, though. The ask is not to go the extra mile for Jesus. This is an ask to go the extra eight miles, to go clear across the sea, even though you're exhausted, even though you've already given everything you have to give. This is the last thing you want to do. And here's why I bring all of this up. Because maturing in the Lord, if you and I want to grow in our faith, then we are going to have to agree at times to do some really hard things for the Lord. Some things that aren't comfortable, that aren't pleasant, that aren't on our list of to-dos. Maturing in the Lord is saying yes to the request to go across the sea when it's the last thing you want to do. I mean, I would have loved to hear the murmurs of the disciples. Are you kidding me right now? I'm going across the sea. But they didn't. They said yes. God doesn't mind interrupting our plans, upsetting our plans, sometimes pushing us into a place of sacrifice, independence, and discomfort. And I think he does that. He calls us out onto the sea, into this place of of trouble and hardship, into this place of exhaustion, into this place of giving even more than we thought we could give. He calls us into those places in life because I think he actually has some really important lessons about life that he wants to teach us. I want to walk you through a couple of those lessons this morning. The first lesson is found in the very next verse, verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So the disciples agree to go across the sea with the Lord. And it appears that as they're about halfway through it, a fierce storm suddenly and unexpectedly rolls in. Now, this is typical in that region. The Sea of Galilee is actually lower than sea level. It's kind of in a valley. And so the winds can just rip through that valley completely unexpectedly. And so their situation on this boat went from calm to chaotic, from peaceful to panic-ridden, from this, like, nice romantic cruise, yeah, to this, iceberg straight ahead. Nobody. All right, cool. David, awesome. Actually, it went like from this to this. This picture is also the Sea of Galilee. Very different waters, isn't it? And it can go from one to the other without even a, a moment's notice, right? The weather pattern can change drastically. And those of us here in the desert southwest, we kind of understand this as well, don't we? You can have a beautiful day and then suddenly this windstorm rolls in or this huge rainstorm comes upon you. So we understand how this happens. 
I actually had a friend who uh, was out on Elephant Butte a couple of years ago. He said it was one of the most beautiful afternoons he had ever had out there on the lake. He was with his four girls at the time. And then he said he was suddenly caught in one of the worst rainstorms he had ever experienced. He thought he was going to die. So it's my buddy, probably 40, and his four daughters, and he said he was the one screaming the loudest (laughs) out of that entire party. So they're caught off guard, which is interesting. See, my friend is a self-proclaimed amateur when it comes to boating, but the disciples, they're paid professionals. This is what they did. This is who they are. Peter, James, Andrew, and John have all been professional sailors. They had all been sailing since they were little boys. They spent countless hours on the water, and there probably wasn't much, if anything, they had never seen or experienced before on the water. And so when they are caught off guard, when they are fearing for their lives, when they are fretting over their situation, you know that it's bad. And it teaches us the first lesson about life, is that storms catch everyone by surprise out at sea. Right? Storms catch everybody by surprise when you're out at sea. Sometimes, no matter how much you have prepared, no matter how much you have planned, life's storms will just catch you off guard. And some of us are kind of nodding our head in agreement at that because we know that feeling, don't we? You had been pretty smart with your money and made some pretty good financial decisions, and yet suddenly you're having to file for bankruptcy. Where did that come from? You had raised your children in the church. You sent them to a Christian school, and now they've walked away from the Lord. Like, how did that, how did that happen? You'd been happily married for over 20 years, so how did you get to the point where the trust was broken and the papers were served? Where did that come from? She'd been healthy and happy her whole life. How in the world did stage four cancer take her out in 16 months? You see how storms can come unexpectedly in life? Some storms, I would actually argue most storms, come out of nowhere. We can put up all the safeguards that we want and make all the plans that we would like, and I encourage you to do both. But you have to understand that some storms just catch you by surprise. Given the fallen nature of our world and the relentless nature of the enemy, some storms are going to swoop in like that squall. And they're going to hit you out of nowhere. And you're going to have never seen it coming. We don't see them coming and then we don't see a way out of them. In fact, when you're stuck in a storm, you have to know this. It has nothing to do with your faith or your lack thereof. It has nothing to do with your intelligence or your lack thereof. It has nothing to do with your expertise or your planning or your plans or your lack thereof. Some storms just catch you by surprise. And that's what makes the next couple of lessons incredibly important. The second lesson is this, that it seems that the wind and the waves were so intense that water started to come into the boat. They started to be flooded and almost sank. Now, I don't know much, if anything, about boating, but I do know this. The water... It's supposed to stay outside the boat, right? And when it comes in, you've got a problem. The disciples knew it was a problem, and they they didn't have a problem with the boat sinking. They had a problem with the fact that Jesus wasn't doing anything about it. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is such a raw and honest question. And here's the second life lesson that we learn from this story. It's hard to trust Jesus when you feel like you're drowning out at sea, isn't it? So sometimes these storms will catch you off guard. Even the best of us, we will be surprised by storms at sea. 
And when that happens, man, it's hard to trust Jesus when you feel like you're drowning on that same sea. See, American culture and American Christianity have taught us that being a Christian or having a real committed faith in the Lord means that your life is going to be relatively easy and carefree. Countless people have taught that if you believe and if you are in the center of God's will, then it's going to go well for you. It's going to be peaceful and calm and and tranquil. Call it the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. But even outside of those two camps, a lot of Christians think that if you are in the center of God's will, if you have a strong faith, you will be shielded from difficult things. My Bible must be broken. Because mine doesn't say that at all. It says the opposite. Sometimes, and more often than not, being in the center of God's will is really hard. And it's painful. And it's uncomfortable. Sometimes being in the center of God's will means you experience hurt and frustration and loss and heartache and pain and confusion. Just ask Joseph. He's in the center of God's will and he's in prison. Just ask John the Baptist. He's in the center of God's will, and he's beheaded. Just ask Jesus. He's in the center of God's will, and he is dripping blood because he's in such agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. So don't tell me that being in the center of God's will means that everything's going well for you. That's not true at all. You could be in the center of God's will, and it could look like your world is falling apart. And it's hard to trust Jesus when it feels like that, isn't it? It's hard to trust Jesus when you're taking on water, man. See, your boat might not be taken on water, but, but maybe your marriage is. Maybe your marriage is just drowning. Your boat might not be taken on water, but maybe your health is. Maybe you can't feel good or haven't felt good in a very long time. So your boat's not taken on water, but maybe your career is or your finances are. Maybe your boat's not taken on water, but your career or or your educational pursuits, I should say, or your faith or your family, right? Sometimes we are in the middle of this mess, and it's a struggle because we're just taking on water. And it's so hard to trust Jesus in that moment because it feels like God could care less about what I'm going through. It's like God is sound asleep in the middle of my chaotic storm. He's over in the corner, and he's unaware, he's unimpressed, or he's unmoved by what is happening to me. In the middle of the storm in Mark 4, what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He is completely passed out. It reminds me of the time that my family and I, we went to the Rose Bowl parade uh, with with two of our our girls. This was kind of a bucket list item for us. We love the Rose Bowl parade, so we woke up super early and drove clear across L.A. to get to Pasadena, and we got our seats, and then there was this huge parade, the incredible floats. It's pretty cool. Little side note, the people that, that, that get the, the largest applause at the Rose Bowl parade, guess who it is? It's the guys who pick up the poop behind the horses. It's weird. I don't know why, but everybody cheers for them. It's like a thing. So anyway, the, 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 uh, the floats go by and the horses go by and then a bunch of bands go by. You've seen the parade before. So this huge high school band rolls right in front of us. I mean, I'm, we're here like 15 feet away from the band. And I look down and my little one, Cassia, looks like this. You can see the band. They're right there. And they're playing loudly. And what's Cassia doing? And she's passed out. It's like, did I mention this was the Rose Bowl parade? Bucket list item, super important. We traveled hours to get here, and here she is, totally conked out. 
Well, guess what? That's exactly what Jesus looked like on the boat. (laughs) They look down and they see Christ just like this. He probably didn't have a passy in his mouth. (laughs) But he's completely passed out. And like many of us would have been, the disciples are dumbfounded, if not downright angered by what they see. And their question is one that many of us have asked before. Jesus, don't you care? Like, don't you give a rip about what I'm going through right now? Like, like, don't you care the person I love so much is going to die of cancer? Don't you care at all about that? Don't you care that I can barely make ends meet right now? Don't you care that my marriage or my emotional health or my finances are on the brink of utter disaster? Don't you care? And many of us, if we're honest, we've raised an angry fist to heaven because we feel like the Savior is more interested in sleeping than saving. If you know that feeling, man, it's a tough place to be. And it's tough to sing praise and it's tough to pray. It's tough to trust Jesus when you feel like you're drowning. Let's just be honest. There's a reason that one of the gifts, spiritual gifts in the scripture is the gift of faith. It's hard to have it sometimes, isn't it? It's just hard to have it. And the disciples knew that it was hard to trust Jesus, and it's okay for us to know that it's hard to trust Jesus. And I want you to to know this as well, a little side note here. Jesus' presence in this story and in this boat did not magically eradicate or remove the disciples' anxiety. I want you to let that sit there just for a second. His presence did not magically or immediately remove their anxiety. They were in the presence of the Lord. Literally, they were right there in the boat with the guy, the one who has all power and all authority. Last week we learned about his smicha is greater than any man who has ever lived. He's right there. They are in his presence, and yet are they still panicking? Are they still scared? Are they still struggling with fear, anxiety, and depression? Yes. So here's a little side note for us, a lesson that we as a church need to learn. It is foolish for us to say, well, if you're struggling with anxiety or depression or mental health, just pray a little bit more, lean into Jesus just a little bit more, and it'll just magically go away. Really? Did it magically go away for the disciples? No. Because sometimes the presence of God doesn't mean that your anxiety or your fear or your depression will just magically go away. Jesus can be right there with you in your presence and you can still be super anxious, super nervous, super scared. And that's okay. Because it's okay to admit it's hard to trust in those moments. It's hard to trust when you think you're going down. And here's why we have to keep the third lesson at the forefront of our minds. It's a lesson that we see in verse 39. He got up, being Jesus, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The word used here to rebuke the storm is the Greek word to muzzle. So it's like the storm is an obnoxious, rowdy, barking dog. And Jesus shuts him up. Enough! He muzzles him. Don't you love that? This storm that was so terrifying, so scary to the disciples, he muzzles them like it's like a little dog. And this is important in this moment because here now Mark is proving to us that Jesus also has smicha, also has authority over the created world, over the natural order of things, over nature itself. We've seen he has authority over disease, over spiritual things, over relationships. But now Mark is saying there is not a single area in this life, in this world, including the world itself, that Jesus does not have complete authority over. 
Mark is proving to us that Jesus' authority extends to the realm of weather patterns and storm surges. This is remarkable, isn't it? There is not a single area that Jesus doesn't have authority. Physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and I can't even say the word, meteorologically, meteorological, whatever, right? That storms Jesus controls. And this is what the disciples say after it's all said and done. You remember what their comment is at the very end? Who is this guy? Well, you know who he is. You've seen him do exorcism. You've seen him do miracles. You've seen him cure incurable diseases. What do you mean, who is this guy? Because even they were blown away that Jesus had authority over the storm. So Jesus quiets the storm that was raging all around the disciples, but I think he was actually more interested in quieting the storm that was raging within the disciples. Here's, here's why I say that. In the Bible, the sea is symbolic of a dark place. Throughout the psalm, you will see descriptions of the sea being evil, tumultuous, troublesome. The book of Revelation, where does the beast come out of? The sea. So the sea is this kind of is, is empty place, this ugly place, this, this evil place, if you will. And I think that's why Jesus was calling the disciples to go out there. It's as if he was challenging them to go into the place of life, the one area of life that they're most afraid of, to enter into that head space or that heart space, that one space where they're just like, God, I know you're God over here and everything's good over here, but there's this one skeleton in my closet or there's this one dark area, there's this one thing in my past, and you're not God over here. That's what the sea represents. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to be Lord of all this, but I also want to be Lord over all of that. And so we're going to go out into the sea. We're going to go into that dark place. And I think all of us have that dark place, don't we? It's that one relationship that we just can't get over. It's that one vice we can't get past. That one temptation that we can't say no to. That one situation at work that we can't escape. That one regret about the past, the one fear about the future. There is a place in each of our lives that is like the stormy sea. It's this dark place, this evil place, this scary place. And we don't want to go there. In fact, we hide that place. We cover that place up. We ignore that place as much as we can. And Jesus is asking you, would you go to that place for me? And would you take me with you? See, if I were to try to depict Christianity like in a, in a brochure, let's say I'm trying to sell Christianity. Hey, you buy now and I'll throw in a free set of Cutco knives. I was never a salesman, obviously. You can tell I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to eat, ever. What would I put on the, on the flyer? What would I put in my, in my sales pitch on the cover of my brochure for Christianity? Would it be like me and Jesus skipping on the beach, like high-fiving each other, laughing? Because that's not real life, is it? And that's not real faith either. On the cover of my Christianity platform or PowerPoint or whatever you want to say, it would probably be a picture of me doing this. Jesus! Wake up! Where are you? Why won't you show up? Why don't, why don't you wake up? That's real life. Because storms are very real, aren't they? And that stormy sea that is deep in my heart is very, very real. And boy, I don't know about you, but I need a God to come and muzzle that storm. I need a God to come and muzzle that voice. I need a God to come and muzzle that angry dog that won't shut up in my life and in my neighborhood. I do have a neighbor dog. I'm like, I hate that dog. Anyway, 
we all have a stormy sea deep inside of us. And we all found ourselves stuck out on the stormy sea. And that's why lesson number three is so important. Not only is Jesus with you out at sea, he is greater than anything that might happen to you on the sea. Let that sink in just for a second. I heard one pastor say it this way. As a Christian, the one who is in your boat is infinitely greater than anything that could ever happen to your boat. Don't you love that? You see, stormy seas and sudden squalls, they scare the death out of us, don't they? And for good reason. But they don't scare Jesus. They don't scare him. They surrender to him. He has authority over the stormy sea. The darkest time, the hardest places, the most evil, chaotic situations, Jesus has authority over those things. Here's why this is important. Christianity is not simply the belief that Jesus can do great things. Christianity is the belief that Jesus can do God-sized things. Christianity is the belief that Jesus can do what God can do and only what God can do because Christianity is the belief that Jesus is God. Jesus is the same God of Psalm 107. Listen to these words. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. It's all going well, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Is this ringing any bells? This is Mark 4. This is a foreshadowing, a prophetic message for what Jesus will do in Mark chapter 4. Why? Because Jesus is this God. You need a God who can calm the chaotic waters. Do you not? You and I need a God who can muzzle the storm. You and I need a God who can get us to our desired haven. Guess who that God is? Jesus the Christ. He's the only one who can get you there. And so many of you right now are trying to like bail all the water out yourself, thinking that you're going to get yourself to your desired haven. Or so many of you just kind of throwing in the towel, you're about to jump ship. There is a God who with a single word can calm your chaotic storm. Either the one that's happening deep in here or the one that's happening all around here. It's Jesus. And that leads us to the fourth and final lesson. One ounce of faith in the Savior is greater than a thousand acts of effort when you're in a stormy sea. Let me say that one more time. One ounce of faith in the Savior is greater than a thousand acts of effort when you're stuck in a stormy sea. See, the Bible says it this way in John 6, 29. Jesus told him this. This is the work, the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. I want you to kind of think about this for a second. This is the work that God wants you to do. Everybody, right, the original audience, oh, this is the work. This is the one thing that God wants us to do. Get your pens out. Get your paper out. Take some notes. This is the work that God wants us to do. Okay, I'm ready for a laundry list of responsibilities, of tasks, hoops, but great callings. This is the work. What do you got for me, Lord? Here's the one thing I want you to do, he says. Believe. I just need you to believe. Believe in me, he says. But don't you love how it's called a work? Because isn't it work sometimes to believe? 
I gotta work at this sometimes to believe it. But that's the greatest work that I could possibly do. Believe. Believe that Jesus can and will save us from any and every storm that we ever face. Here's why this is important, because I think that some of us, we've given up on God. I don't think we've given up on him like for our salvation, per se. Like we know at the end, like I'm hoping I'm still going to get in kind of thing. So it's not our salvation we've given up on him in, but it's, it's a situation that we've given up on. We've given up on that one person. Like they are never going to change. Or they will never apologize. Or I will never forgive them. Or with money, I'm always going to be struggling. I'm never going to have enough to make ends meet. Or I'm always going to be stuck in this situation or stuck in that situation. And so we trust him for like salvation, like way out there. But I don't really trust him for the stuff that's going on right here. And I don't want you to struggle with that anymore. I want you to believe. Believe in him. Believe that the, that the God of Psalm 107 is the God of Mark 7. And that God is your God. He's in your boat. That's the God that we're talking about. He can storm the quiet waters. And that's why Jesus ends the story this way in verse 40. He says to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still not believe? Do you still not have faith? Jesus always welcomed doubters and skeptics into his midst, but he never placated them. He never said, ah, oh, you're kind of 60-40. Ah, oh, that'll do. I'll take it. Just stay on the fence for as long as you'd like. What did he say? Believe. Believe in me. Believe. And so, being rescued by me on a white water rafting trip, that's pretty remarkable, if I do say so myself. Being rescued by Jesus. Infinitely greater, is it not? But more so than being rescued out of a storm, it's when Jesus will actually just take out our storm. And some of us have experienced that very thing where it was chaotic waters and somehow and in some way Jesus rebuked it and muzzled it. And so this morning as we continue in worship for a few minutes, I want you to spend some time kind of just asking yourself, what stormy sea do I find myself in today? In what areas am I taking on water? In what areas do I feel like I'm drowning? In what areas do I feel like I'm going down? And as Jackson comes back up and, and, and plays for us a little bit, I want you to see communion, this moment where we take these two little elements, a piece of bread representing Jesus' body broken for us and a little cup of juice representing his blood shed for us. I want you to see this as an invitation. This is an invitation this morning to stop panicking, to stop fretting, to stop fearing, to stop trying to get all the water out of the boat yourself and to stop contemplating jumping out of the boat. <laughs> This is an invitation to come to Jesus. This is an invitation to come to the one. This is an invitation to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and can do what he's already done. And so no matter what storm you're facing this morning, whether it's out here or deep in here, I pray that this morning you will come to the table and you will say, Jesus, I believe. It's the only thing you have to do this morning. It's the only work God is requiring of you is just believe it. Let me pray that over you now. Father, help us to believe. Sometimes it is so hard to make sense of things or to see you, God, in the middle of the storm. There are storms in life that are raging around many of us, God. Relationships, career, education. Then there are the storms raging deep inside of us, God. Fear, regret, anxiety. 
would you come and be the God of Psalm? Would you come and be the God of Mark 4? Would you come and be the God who will still the storm, whatever that looks like in my life? Would you come now in each of our situations and still the chaotic waters? Help us as we come to you to invite you to come to us and to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.